0: Again, brothers and sisters, and thanks for coming for uh, Wells Canada AGM. Uh, Like I said at the beginning of the service, this service is supposed to be a typical Sunday morning service for Cross of Life. And uh, in the spirit of that, I decided to uh, give you a sermon today on something that our congregation is rediscovering and is really reinvigorating our life together as a congregation, and that's to relearn how to pray the Psalms. Uh, I don't know if maybe you're just more devotionally aware than I am, uh, but for the better part of my life, I didn't see much value in praying the Psalms. I knew the Luther quote that the whole doctrine of Scripture is contained in the Psalms. I knew that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote some amazing book on the Psalms, but frankly, I couldn't be bothered much more than to remember Psalm 23 and translate Psalm 1 for Hebrew class, and that was about it. Uh, By God's grace, the Holy Spirit has worked on my heart and has helped me discover the value in praying the Psalms, and I want to share that with you today, because it is doing something really cool in in our congregation. As we realize that what makes a congregation is not a a great program or a great marketing or really cool graphics or good music or good preaching, but it is the presence of God's word among his people. When God's words come out of mouths of his people, and they come back into our own ears and and strengthen us, and and strengthen one another. That's what we're discovering together. So I want to introduce you back to the Psalms. Maybe you pray the Psalms regularly, God be praised for that, but if you don't, you really should. Take take it like this. Um, I'm gonna pull you aside in a sense, and say, hey, I know you got some problems, but there's this guy I really want you to meet, and he's got answers. I'm gonna introduce you to three Psalms, actually. Psalms 37, 38, and 39, which they're really long, and that's why I'm not reading all of them right now. I'm giving you an introduction to say, hey, you guys need to talk. So let's start. Psalm 37 is a beloved psalm, I think, for many people, but particularly for me in this season of life, as I see the wickedness of the world. You can see it too, right? The wickedness of women shouting their abortion, of scientists and pundits justifying murder by saying it's reproductive rights or women's health. You see the wickedness of governments as they mistreat their people, whether physically or simply by stealing their money through inflation. You see the wickedness of tech companies that use your attention to make money and create content that will keep your face glued to a screen rather than doing your vocations. You see the wickedness of companies who unethically produce their goods using essentially what should be called slave labor to feed this consumerist mindset that we all have in the West. You see the wickedness of families where commitment to marriage is not even a a thing that's worth pursuing, or parenting that looks a whole lot more like raising a pet rather than a child, or neglecting that child completely, or making sure that they're raised by everybody but their biological parents. Wickedness is easy to see in our society today, and David knew that in his day, and so he penned Psalm 37 for us. As he looked out at the wickedness of the world, he said, this isn't good, and, and the worst part about it is, it seems like those people who are doing wickedness have everything going right for them. Maybe you feel that way. As you look out at the world around you, and you think of your own life, you think, I have given up so much to be a Christian. About half of you are pastors, and you have moved your families across an international border to serve Jesus. You could have had a far easier life. You could have stayed closer to family. You probably could have had a bigger house. You probably could have made more money. But here you are, on this side of the border, serving a country that doesn't even want to hear about God most of the time. And you wonder, what What gives? Why do the people who do wickedness seem to always be successful? And I'm here slaving away, just trying to get one person in BIC so that I can say that our congregation is growing. Are you laymen and laywomen who are here? I think you almost have it worse than us pastors. Because we pastors, we can hide behind the ministry in a certain sense. Like, people sort of expect us to be weird. Like, if we're living in a sanctified way, like set apart from culture, people are like, okay, well, whatever, you're clergy. But but those of you who are not, you you go into your workplace and being accepted there as being normal is maybe necessary for maintaining your employment or advancing in your company. And if you're not willing to cut corners or make ethical uh, cheats on what you're doing in your work, or you're not willing to try to fit in with the conversation and humor of the pagans, that's hard. It's maybe harder than what I have to do or my brothers in the ministry have to do every day. You wonder, like, uh, this Christian thing, it's great for eternity, but right now it really seems like it's ruining my life. I could have it so much better. David gets it. He says that, that this is what I see all around me. The wicked people are are full and happy and, and prosperous, and, and yet the righteous, they don't seem to catch a break. Now, I know the, the ordering of the Psalms is not necessarily... Inspired, but I do think that whoever ordered them the way that they're ordered had some logic in ordering them the way they are. Because Psalm 38, which comes right after Psalm 37, answers a question that is, I think, implicit in Psalm 37. So if you're looking at the world and you're saying, why do the wicked seem to have so much prosperity and the righteous seem to be struggling? What you're assuming is that you're one of the righteous, right? What David then says in Psalm 38 is, well, you are righteous, but... Not because of your works. Not because you are inherently a better person than most people. In fact, the evil that lives inside of you is the same evil that lives inside of all those people perpetrating abhorrent acts across the world. It's not a difference in degree of evil that comes into every one of our sinful natures. It is simply God's grace that keeps our hands from harming our neighbor in specific ways. He pushes us to repent. It's so easy for us to look at the world and say, well, we're better than them. And in some sort of way, functionally, sure, we're not out there cheating on our spouses, killing our neighbors, stealing from them, but the evil that lives inside them is the same evil that lives inside me. And it makes you think back to Jesus, right, in Luke 13, where the people tell him about uh, the, the uh, people who were killed while they were making their sacrifices by Pilate, and, and then he adds, do you remember those people who the Tower of Siloam fell on? Do you think they were worse sinners? No. You repent. You repent. Like Jesus does that thing that we don't like when other people do where we, we bring up a topic that's supposed to be just kind of whatever, dinner, dinner table conversation and a guy just goes off about something. Like that's what Jesus does, right? He goes off about saying, all of this evil that you see, all the wickedness out there, it should lead you to repent. But how often do we? When I watch the news and see another terrible thing happen, how often do I go up to my room and pray and repent for my sins? I'm more likely to go outside and try to break something or at least vent on Facebook about it. But David would say, when we see wickedness in the the world, it should draw us back to our own heart and the wickedness that lives there and bring that to God in repentance. Which then leads to what David says in Psalm 39. He asks himself the question, what's the point then? Right, If, if there's so much wickedness in the world and the wicked seem to prosper and the righteous seem to not, and even so, the wickedness that is showing itself in those who do not believe in God is still present within those who believe. And, and you know, it, it, it takes only minutes to destroy something that takes decades to build. What's the point? Why be a righteous person? Why not just die and get it over with? And he's really honest about that. I mean, as you read Psalm 37, he, he brings out the emotion that I think some of us feel. Like, what's the point? Why do I work at this? Why can't I just die and go to heaven? And the answer that every one of these psalms gives us, David gives us the same answer in every single one of those psalms. One word that I want you to remember, wait. Wait. As he introduces the theme of the wicked prospering and the righteous not in Psalm 37, he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And as he reprises the theme at the end of Psalm 37, he says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. As he sees his own sin in his own heart in Psalm 37, he says, wait, excuse me, in Psalm 38, he says, I will wait for you, Lord. You will answer, Lord, my God. And then as he thinks about the end of his life and how without God, his life is relatively purposeless, he says, well, now what do I wait for? My hope is in you. We wait. Maybe to illustrate this, I'll tell you an old Chinese proverb, which I, I hope I get right. Chung can tell me if I got it wrong, I suppose. Um, there is a, a Chinese farmer in rural China, and he, he was farming using his horse one day when the horse ran away. And the other villagers came over to him and said, oh, it's terrible that your horse ran away. He said, we'll see. A couple days later, the horse came back, but this time it came with two more horses two mares that it had found out in the wilderness. And the villagers came to the man and said, what great luck, you now have three horses. And he said, we'll see. The next day, his son was riding the horse and one of the other horses bumped into him and broke his leg. And the villagers came to the man and said, oh, what bad luck, your, your son's leg is broken. And he said, we'll see. And then the next day, the army came to recruit men for the forces, and they didn't take the son because the son had a broken leg and couldn't serve. And the people said, What great luck! Your son does not have to go off to war. And he said, We'll see. What's great about that story is it is, in a sense, the attitude that we have. We look at the wickedness of the world, and, and everyone else sees it as a disastrous thing that will ruin everything, and we can say, We'll see. We have a promise from God that says he works out all things for the good of those who love him. So maybe this is evil for a time, but we'll see. And as we look at our own sin and see the destruction that we ooze out on people all the time because we're sinful people, we can also know that God takes our evil and makes those things work for his purposes. We can look back at our life and say, all the terrible things that I've done, look at all the ways that I've hurt people, and yet at the same time can say, well, we'll see how God will work those things out and as we look towards the end of our life, we have the best we'll see, because it's not passive, sort of dismissive, we'll see, who knows. No, truly, at the end of our life, we will see, right? Our our faith will become sight, and all of it will make sense, and all of it will be cleaned up, and all of the wickedness will go away. It will be thrown into the lake of fire, and you and I will, with our resurrected bodies, come into the presence of our God, and we will see. So until then, wait. Wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait like Abraham and Sarah did for a child who would eventually continue with the line of the Savior. Wait like Hannah did for a child who was a prophet who preached the word. Wait like the Israelites did for thousands of years for the Messiah or 70 years in Babylon. Wait like the church has done now for 2,000 years for our Lord and Savior to come back and to bring us home. And while you're waiting, pray the Psalms because they feel you. They speak the the words that are in our heart with, with emotion and clarity, and here's the good news, they're perfect prayers. Jesus loves to hear them. And so let's pray them together. Let's pray now. Jesus, you've given us perfect prayers, words that you will answer, and we ask that you would invigorate our hearts to pray them back to you, to let the honesty of the Psalms be our honesty as well. As we look at the wickedness of the world, we, we lament the fact that so many are harmed by sin and then also lament that that sin lives in us and continues to harm people. We pray that you would give us patience to wait for you until you take us out of this place. Amen.